I found a poem this week that I want to share with you all because I think that it goes along with the the themes and things that we are um, that we are trying to discern that we are looking at together. Um, I have the words here, um, and I'd, I'd just like to read this to you. Faith begins by letting go, giving up what had seemed sure, taking risks and pressing on. Though the way feels less secure, pilgrimage both right and odd, trusting all our life to God. Faith endures by holding on, keeping memory's roots alive so that hope may bear its fruit. Promise-fed, our souls will thrive, not through merit we possess, but by God's great faithfulness. Faith matures by reaching out, stretching minds, enlarging hearts, sharing struggles, living prayer, binding up the broken parts till we find the commonplace, ripe with witness to God's grace. If you look in your hymnal at number 684, that is where this poem came from (laughs) this morning. Um, So do not be surprised if in the weeks and months to come, uh, this shows up in our worship service. But I wanted to share it just by reading the words because sometimes we hear it differently when it's spoken than when it is sung. Um, 684. I, I see some folks checking with one another. Wait, what did she say? Um, and so I encourage you to look at those words, pray over those words, think about them, and uh, keep them in mind. I just love that that first line, faith begins by letting go. There's a lot of talk in scripture about pruning branches, and pruning is not easy. It means something has to go. But in pruning that branch, something new can grow. And that is what we are here for. And that is what we are working toward as a community. and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may hear your word with joy. Amen. Bob Downs is the one that always said this, but as you hear the words uh, read today from Scripture, listen for God's special word to you. Our Old Testament lesson to us comes today from the book of Deuteronomy, reading from chapter 5, verses 6 and 16. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. 
our New Testament lesson comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. Reading from the 14th chapter, verses 25 to 33. The heading reads, The Cost of Being a Disciple. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. I remember when I was a child, I think it was my grandfather got me a book of Grimm's fairy tales. And if ever you have read any of the fairy tales as written by the brothers Grimm, you know that they are disturbing. They are nothing like the Disney versions. The Brothers Grimm did not write for children. They wrote down many stories that had been part of the oral tradition for a while, some of which may have been told to children from time to time, but none of which were intended for children originally. Um, I don't care to go into the gory details of the real Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty this morning, but let's suffice it to say that the characters in the originals of these stories broke a whole lot of commandments and were cleaned up significantly before Disney put them on the big screen. But some of their most eerie stories are eerie because they are so painfully real. They are not actually fairy tales. They are more like morality stories, much like you might have heard from Aesop. And I'd like to share one of those with you this morning. It's called The Old Man and His Grandson. There once was a very old man whose eyes had become dim, his ears dull of hearing, his knees trembled, and when he sat at the table, he could hardly hold the spoon 
and spilt the broth upon the tablecloth or let it run out of his mouth. His son and his son's wife were disgusted at this, so the old grandfather at last had to sit in the corner behind the stove, and they gave him his food in an earthenware bowl and not even enough of it. And he used to look toward the table with his eyes full of tears. Once, too, his trembling hands could not hold the bowl, and it fell to the ground and broke. The young wife scolded him, but he said nothing and only sighed. Then they brought him a wooden bowl for a few halfpence, out of which he had to eat. They were once sitting thus when the little grandson of four years old began to gather together some bits of wood upon the ground. What are you doing there? asked the father. I'm making a little trough, answered the child, for father and mother to eat out of when I am big. The man and his wife looked at each other for a while and presently began to cry. Then they took the old grandfather to the table and henceforth always let him eat with them and likewise said nothing if he did spill a little of anything. I think this tale sums up the fifth commandment pretty nicely. The only people who would have been reading the Ten Commandments when they were written were a few educated priests. Like Grimm's fairy tales, they were not written for children. The only people they would have been reading them to, these few who could read them, were adult men, the male heads of the households. No women would have been present at these readings. No children would have been present. They would have had to learn them from their fathers or husbands or grandfathers. Now, when I was young, I was taught that this commandment meant to always obey your parents. That's not a terrible takeaway, kids, but that was not the initial original intent of this commandment. The original meaning of the Hebrew word we translate as honor um, is pronounced kaved, is not obey. It means to honor or to treat with great worth and value. Uh, the, the, or the adjective it comes from means weighty or important. So what this commandment is telling these adult hearers is to treat their elders as valuable. Remember their importance. Remember their worth. We have many more provisions for aging parents and grandparents these days than those who were listening to this scripture originally had. And even now, with laws and agencies created to care for people as they are less and less able to care for and defend themselves, one of the most vulnerable populations in the world today are the elderly. So then magnify this. Think about how at risk they would have been in a world where women couldn't own property and were entirely at the mercy of male relatives. Think about how terrible this could be in a world that didn't have laws protecting the aged from abuse and neglect. Elderly folks, and especially elderly widows, mothers, would have been at great risk for harm in that world. So here is this commandment, the first of the love your neighbor commandments, as we shift from how to love God commandments to how to love one another commandments. It encourages them to remember the importance of everyone, even and especially the vulnerable in their families. What a beautiful thing. What a gracious and loving God to look out for everyone this way, starting with those who are at the most risk of harm at the hands of others. 
I love this too because the first neighbors that God is concerned about us looking out for are the vulnerable ones. The ones who cannot look out for themselves, much like the grandfather in the Grimm Brothers story who gets put in the corner. And the first neighbors that God tells us to look after are our first neighbors. Who are the people that first teach us about human interaction? Who are the first people that we have to learn to interact well with? Our parents, our family of origin, the people who raise us. So God starts with the first neighbors we ever have, our family of origin. And if we can't treat them with importance, who can we treat with importance? And the ripple effect of this commandment goes much further than that, though. It's not just about interactions within one household between two generations. Think about how in the Grimm story, the little grandson's actions are mimicking the actions of his parents. The things we do and say and the way we treat others ripple down from generation to generation. So this is far bigger than just caring for two people. This is about modeling healthy community. It's about caring for the vulnerable as a society. The end of the commandment says that it matters so that these things will go well for them in their new land. This commandment is about protecting the past to secure the future. Protect the past to secure the future. This does not mean we are to drag everyone else into the past, for the record. If we look at this as a church together, trying to figure out how to make it in a new and different world, we need to be careful not to read this as a call to hold on tightly to nostalgia and empty tradition. But we also have to take seriously the idea of honoring those who have gone before us. We have to think about how to honor and care for the spiritual mothers and fathers who've come before us here in this place while still considering the future. I saw a quote a while back that said, uh, from a principal's publication in 1815, students today depend on paper too much. They don't know how to write on a slate without getting chalk dust all over themselves. They can't clean a slate properly. What will they do when they run out of paper? There is nothing new under the sun, my friends. Slate was a great thing, which at one point was a new invention, a new technology people were using. It did help countless children learn how to read and write at a time when paper was expensive and hard to come by. But our society changed, and now paper is cheap and easy to find. We went back to school shopping just the other day, and it's like 50 cents for a big pack of paper. It's, it doesn't cost much anymore. And now it's changing again, and people rely more on computers and smartphones than paper. Both of my middle schoolers will be distributed laptops for use at school because that is an important technology for them to learn. Now, my point is not to argue for or against any certain technology like slate or paper or laptops or iPhones, but rather to say that this is an ongoing problem. It is not new. We will always have to find ways to balance recognizing the importance of the past with the progress of the future. I have a feeling that that poor principal back in 1815 was probably feeling a bit like a dinosaur 
His ways that he had used for who knows how long had become the old ways, and he was starting to feel irrelevant. And often when we, what we do when we start to see our old ways slipping away is to hold on tighter to them because it's scary to see them fading. And it's okay to want to honor them, but it's also okay to let them retire when the time is right. Jesus does not say in the gospel passage that that Mark read for us today that we should turn away from family because he believes this commandment is irrelevant. His point is that if we are to follow Jesus, we have to trust and follow him, even if it feels like we're turning our back on the past. You are not going to come in here next week and find that the sanctuary was remodeled and a band is warming up in the front. Sit easy. (laughs) But I will continue to challenge you all to think of ways we can nod to the past, continue to honor the history of the church, the mothers and fathers of the faith who have come before us, while remembering that if the future is not considered as well, we're going to find ourselves in the corner alone eating from a wooden bowl one day. I know not all of you are able to make it to midweek Bible study on a regular basis, especially as the days shorten and it gets darker sooner. But I encourage you to get to at least the first week this fall, if at all possible, because one of the ways that we honor the past is by lifting up the stories and the celebrations that have happened before. And so on September 18th, we will have a story night. Other churches have done this and had a great time doing it. It's a wonderful way to record and celebrate the rich history of this congregation. It's a chance to gather together and share stories. And it will be a a joint event for both Churches, Because as we partner uh, together, it's important to understand the past and the history of both congregations and where we have all come from. So you'll be able to hear one another's stories and histories together. If you have an elderly friend or relative who can't come or if you can't make it for some reason, let me know so that I can help record some audio or get a written uh, story from, from them or from you. And um, I'll keep giving you more information as the weeks come. Maybe we'll have some other times where we can gather and plan as well. But as we continue seeking out our way into the future, it's important to remember the importance of the past, the weight of the past, to honor those who came before us. To languish in nostalgia or tradition, complaining about paper versus slate, until the church fizzles is to fail to honor those before us. Everything we do in church was once a new thing that surely someone had a problem with. There used to be arguments about if it was right to have one of those newfangled organs or not, or if stained glass was too ostentatious for a church. We have to treat those who came before us with great honor. We also have to remember that it's not because they are owed some blind obedience, but because it's through the honoring of the past that we are secured a future. We are given the freedom to be our own people, to grow and change because of the faith of those before us. 
So let's continue to honor them through our creativity and innovation as we move into the future. Here's your prayer prompt for this week. Ask God to reveal what old ways have us stuck in the past. What are the stories of the life of this congregation that are important to hold on to? Maybe those ones that you want to share in September when we gather. And who are the vulnerable around us that we should be caring for? Like all of the commandments, this one has layers. There's the layer of caring for the vulnerable. And then there's a layer of honoring the past so that we can enter into the future. Be praying about about both of those things. Let us pray. God of the ages, help us to honor the saints who have gone before us here while remembering to care for the well-being and nurture of the saints who are still developing. Help us to treat all those around us with importance and honor while caring for the most vulnerable in our midst. Give us imagination and creativity as we work to move forward toward the future. Amen. Thank you.